0: Look at all these wonderful faces. You can't shake hands, but you want to wave to some people? Say hi. I don't know if you should blow kisses. I think that may blow some COVID with it. So don't don't do that. But it's good to see so many of you here today and hopefully just a, a taste of things that are to come. You know, The more I read the Bible, the more I see that the vast majority of it is meant to encourage us as God's people to be faithful in the midst of difficulty. It's all over the the pages, the reality of opposition and the struggle that we will have as we engage the work that God has given to us, as well as encouragement to persevere. There's this, this marriage of the reality of opposition but also the reality of God's provision in the midst of that opposition. Jesus told us in the gospel of John that as his servants we would face the same rejection that he faced because a servant is not greater than his master. The world will come against us as God's people, but he also tells us in John 16:33, "Take heart, because I have overcome the world." This reality Pairing of opposition, but also provision is found throughout the Scripture. In the book of Acts, we see the church suffering, incredible suffering, but also at the very same time prospering under the sustaining hand of God. Throughout the epistles, whoever wrote them, each apostle is writing to a church in a variety of difficult circumstances to encourage them in the gospel and to remember their future hope in Christ, a sustaining hope, a living hope. The book of Revelation itself is a picture of this reality, reminding the church that even in the midst of difficult times, Jesus is walking among you. So remain faithful, awaiting that day when your faith will become sight. Now, here's a little lesson that I've learned throughout the years of following the Lord and, and reading the Bible. When, when God takes pains to repeat something over and, over and over and over and over and over again, that typically means he wants you to know something, right? He wants you to pay attention to something because it's really, really important. Now, it may not be what you want to hear. I mean, who who's signing up for persecution? Who's signing up for opposition? But it may be that You need to hear it. And as we see this reality unfold today in the pages of the Old Testament, in Ezra and Nehemiah, I want you to to hear the declaration of God yet again. It is true, church family, true that the work that God has given us to do is difficult. It is true, church family, that there is an enemy who plots and opposes that work. It is true that until Christ returns— This work will be opposed. But it is also true that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. God has not left us empty-handed in this difficult work. He has not left us ill-prepared in the face of opposition. No, he has made provision for the opposition. He has given us everything we need to accomplish the work, difficult work he has given, and resist the enemy who attacks. We Simply need to be faithful. Be on guard. Be prepared. Be vigilant. And be faithful. I think that's what the Lord is telling us in Nehemiah 3 to 6 this morning. As we move into Nehemiah chapter 3, the work on the wall is beginning. The people have responded to Nehemiah's challenge in Nehemiah chapter 2. And in chapter 3, we see their overwhelming response. Family after family, tribe after tribe, joining together in unity to do what they cannot do on their own. To, to take ownership of one part of the wall, to take ownership of a, a specific gate, and collectively do the work that God has called them to do to finish this work of restoration that began in the return that we read about in Ezra chapter 1. But the theme of the Bible... That we've been discussing this morning, this reality of opposition and also provision from the Lord proves true. Almost immediately, as the work begins on the wall, opposition begins as well, and we see that in chapters four through six. We see external provision and we, uh, division or opposition, and we also see internal opposition. But the great benefit, I think, of what the Bible is unfolding here for us is the way it exposes the the attack of the enemy, the way the enemy comes against us, the, the schemes that he uses to attack the people of God, to discourage the work of God. And I really want us to focus on that. I mean, we've already talked about the reality of opposition earlier in Ezra. But one of the great blessings of God is that he didn't just tell us that we're under attack. He exposes the way the enemy attacks so that we can be prepared. And we can take account in our own life to make sure that we are on guard in appropriate and proper ways. Okay, so just for context, who is the enemy here? In Nehemiah 4 and 6 specifically, we've already encountered them once. Chapter 2, verse 19, they're reintroduced in one and four seven, and also in one. Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, Geshem, the Arab, three men from three very powerful nations. The Bible wants us to see that the opposition that's coming against the people of God is not light, right? This isn't a guy and some donkeys. These are armies. In fact, the Bible is almost saying to us that all the nations here are coming against the work of God, against the people of God. Now, why are they concerned? Why are they coming against this work? Well, outside of the, the larger spiritual reality, that the kingdoms of this world are opposed to the kingdom of God. They have very practical and political concerns. If God's people are successful, they're going to lose their influence in this very advantageous part of the world. They don't want them to build this, build this wall because they don't want them to reestablish themselves as a people and take back over control of this land. They want to maintain control. They want to hold on to their power. And so they come after the people of God. How? How do they attack? Well, I think Nehemiah exposes for us four ways the enemy attacks the people of God. As we walk through the ways that they come after the people of God, I want you to take account of your own life. And I want you to see if if our enemy, our greater enemy, has ever used the same attacks in your life. My guess is you'll see the answer is yes. Here are the four attacks. I'm going to give them all to us at one time, and then we'll work through them one by one. Okay, here are the four. Attack one, they challenged the identity of the people of God. The first thing that they do is they go after the identity of the people of God. Secondly, they seek to distract from the work of God. Thirdly, they go after the leader of the people of God. And finally, they try to manipulate the word of God. Okay, now we're going to walk through each one of them one by one. Attack number one. The enemy of God's people challenged the identity of the people of God. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 for a moment in the book of Nehemiah. And here we see Sanballat on patrol. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And that could be a great descriptive of all of our enemies. Anytime we're about the work of God, they're going to be angry, greatly enraged. And here's what they do. They jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore this city for themselves, the wall for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish this up in a day? Will they revive the stones of the heaps, heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, "Yes, what they are building? If a fox goes up on it, it will surely break down their stone wall. What a burn! Right? Uh, the, their work is so bad a fox could take it down. Oh, you know they had to hit right in the gut of the people of God, right? So what is it that the enemy is doing here? They they are jeering at the Jews." They start making fun of them. They start teasing them and they are using their perceived weaknesses against them. They're they're using what they can see. The the weakness they can see, they're using it against them. They call them feeble. You're a weak people. You can't... Look at at the work. There's tons of piles of, of... garbage and and stones. You can't build this, and even if you do build it, you're so weak, you're so unskilled, a fox running on the top of it's going to let it collapse. You can't do this work. You can't do it right. And when you fail, are you going to still worship? Are you still going to sacrifice? When When it doesn't take just a day, when it takes many days, when it takes a a large amount of days, and and the work gets harder and harder, are you still going to trust your God? No, no, no. This God, He's not going to be able to do this for you. You're not going to be able to rebuild this wall, and He's not going to be able to rebuild you. Just give up. Just look at yourselves. You're not worth it. You're not able. Now, what makes these insults so difficult is that some of them are true. In the history of God's people, not all of them, but some of them are true, right? We've we've seen this about the people of God. We know that they are not a mighty nation. We know that they were kind of the world's rejects. We know that they are weak. But all of this on purpose, friends. Remember, God chose them to confound the wisdom of the world, there could be no question that this people getting this prime real estate was well, not about them, right? This people overcoming the, the most powerful nations in the world was not about them. People can't just look at the people of Israel and say, well, of course, right? I mean, they, look at their muscles. Look at their, 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 their horses. Look at their, their weapons. They're strong. They're intelligent. They're, they're, the, they're the, the greatest strategists in war, of course, They're victorious. No, 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 no. God chose a people who are not glorious in and of themselves so that his glory could shine through them. And so what's the enemy doing here? This enemy is taking the identity of God's people and manipulating it to his own advantage, where it's no longer an asset for the work of God, but a detriment to the work of God. He's trying to, to turn their focus on themselves instead of the God who has attached himself to them. Now, look at you. You can't do this. You'll never make it. Think about all the things that are, that are wrong with you, that, that you won't be able to be used by God to do that. And when they start looking at themselves, and they see their lack of strength for this work, it could lead to discouragement. And it could lead them to want to quit. But thankfully... They don't listen. It's a, it's a common attack. It's a one of, one of the enemy's favorites to challenge your identity and, and get you to look at yourself rather than the Lord who's attached himself to you to see your weakness instead of his strength. But thankfully, because of the leadership of Nehemiah, the people of God don't fall victim to it. And so another plan is put in place, and we see this happening in chapter 4, uh, verse 7. You can see in verse 6, we built the wall, And all the wall was joined together. So they they don't listen to these lies. They don't listen to the manipulations of the enemy. But they built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. So the work is progressing. It's halfway done. Because the people had the mind to work. They wanted to be about the work. They were faithful to the work. And so Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, Ammonites, verse 7, the Ashdodites. They think of another way of attack. Since the identity thing didn't work, now... They seek to distract from the work. Okay, the people had a mind to work still, so let's let's distract their work. Let's get them something else to focus on, so they have to to leave this work to go be about that work. When they heard this, the breaches were beginning to be closed. Verse seven. There it is again. They were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it, to cause confusion. What's happening here is that Sanballat is organizing an army to come in and show its physical force so the people of God can no longer just focus on the wall. They also have to focus on defending themselves. The work was hard enough, right? I mean, this this wall is going to be a tough thing to rebuild, But now we not only have to worry about the wall, we've got to to worry about our lives. We've got to worry about some army coming in and throwing spears or shooting arrows or using swords. This enemy wants to change the focus of God's people to make them be about a different work. In the hopes, that in the confusion, the people of God will get confused, tired, give up, maybe even defeat themselves which would be beneficial given that the king of Persia has attached his protection to them. And it begins to work, according to chapter 4, verse 10. In Judah, it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble by ourselves we will never be able to rebuild the walls. They see the work. They see the work of rebuilding, the work of defending, and they begin to be deflated. trying to hold something you use for bricks on one hand. What's that thing called? A spade or something in one hand and a sword in the other. And they're getting tired from having to do double duty. And division begins to seep into the people. Chaos and confusion. Divided minds leading to divided work leading to a divided people. But praise the Lord, Nehemiah is still there, and he sees what's going on, and he sees that the people are beginning to be discouraged. He sees that their efforts are divided, and so Nehemiah brings order to the chaos, assigning certain people to defend and certain people to build. You focus on what you need to focus on, and you focus on what you need to focus on. So your energies are properly directed, and we can do the work that God has called us to. And we see that at the end of chapter 4. And the enemy begins to recognize, so long as the people of God have a good leader, so long as the people of God have Nehemiah, the work's going to continue. So the identity thing didn't work. The distraction thing didn't work. So now we got to go after the leader himself. Let's cut the head off the snake. So they try to harm or compromise Nehemiah. And we see this in chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Listen to the plot of Ballad and company against Nehemiah. Two things here. They try to murder him, and they try to jeopardize him. Let's see this. The rest of the enemies, they heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it. So the breaches had been closed. And of course, they're upset about that. And so they said to Nehemiah saying, Come, verse 2, come, let us meet together at Hakapharim and the plain of Ono. And do you know what Nehemiah says? You want to meet in Ono? Ono. Oh, I'm going to let that one sink in for a little bit because that was, that was pretty good. He says, oh, no, because he knows they intended to do me harm. Five times, Sam, Ballad, and company request that Nehemiah leave the safety of Jerusalem and come out and meet them in the plain so that they can kill him. But he refuses. And then they set up another threat. Verse 7, there's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports that you've put up prophets proclaiming that there's a king in Judah. So come, let's take counsel together, so that that word of you trying to overthrow the Persian king Artaxerxes doesn't get back to him. And why does Nehemiah answer? We've not done this kind of thing. Verse eight, you're inventing them out of your own mind. We're going to kill you. You won't let us kill you. Okay, we'll invent something up, so the Persian king will take you out. And thankfully, Nehemiah does not fall victim. To them. He sees the schemes for what they are and he resists and remains intact. And so the enemy has one last thought. If I can't take out the leader, let me me manipulate what God has told him. Because here's, here's the reality Nehemiah is a man of God. And so long as Nehemiah believes that God is for this rebuilding, so long as Nehemiah believes that God is for them in this rebuilding, we will never be able to make them stop. If God has told him that God has placed him in this position to rebuild the wall, the only chance we have is to make Nehemiah believe something different than what God has said. And so they hire a prophet, a false prophet, according to verse 10 of chapter 6, whose name is Shemiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. And he said, let's meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let's close the doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Let's, let's leave the people to defend themselves. Let's get you inside safety. Nehemiah says, but such a man as I run away and what man such as I could go into the temple and live, I will not go in. And in that moment, he realized and saw that God had not sent this false prophet, but he had pronounced a prophecy against him because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. What a dangerous attack from the enemy. I'm grateful for for Nehemiah's discernment and wisdom here. He wanted to manipulate and twist the word of God Change the work of God to be against the Lord rather than for the Lord. Any of this stuff sound familiar? Yep. Anybody got a testimony of how the enemy has used these exact same attacks? And you're like, I got to confess, as I was preparing this week and doing a little soul searching before the Lord this week, I was just going through moment after moment in my past where I could think about the enemy using one of these four attacks to discourage me or distract me from the work that God had called us to do. And that's why, again, I think this passage is so important for us today as the people of God. The, the reason why we're able to, to, to recognize the attack of the enemy is because it hasn't changed, right? Right? The enemy is still attacking in these exact same ways in our lives today as the people of God to distract us from the work that God has given to us. He still wants us to forget who we are or to remember who we were before God came and rescued us. He wants us to listen to what the world says about us rather than what God has said about us. He wants to look at our weaknesses and he wants to manipulate them and exaggerate them. To to say to us, not that God can use those to reveal his glory, but there's no way God could use you. Not That glorious God could never use you. You're too broken. You're too weak. Look at all the mess you've created. Look at all the the chaos that you've allowed to come into the, the plan of God. There's no way that you could be used by God. Making us forget that that's exactly why God chose us to begin with. Because in our weakness, his strength is made abundantly clear. And our lack of glory allows the glory of God to shine through us. Yes, we are a weak people. Yes, we could not do this work on our own. But praise the Lord, we're not on our own. He wants to distract us from the work that God has called us to. He wants to to introduce division into the church, confusion in the church so that we won't be unified in the work that God has called us to. So that we'll come before each other as the Jews did here in in verse 10 of chapter 4 and say the strength is failing. There's too much. By ourselves, we'll never be able to do this. Why does the enemy want to do that? Because when we are arguing over dumb things, and we're allowing the enemy to divide us over some things, then we'll be distracted from the work that God has given to us building the church and advancing the kingdom by making disciples. How many times have churches imploded because they're arguing over paint color, our worship styles, our meeting times? Small things in comparison to the work that God has given to us. Doesn't the enemy just love that? When we get distracted from what really matters, the real work over secondary or even meaningless things. He wants to compromise our leaders and take them out in the hopes that we won't be able to continue without them. And how many times have we seen a leader fall? In the church, how many men of God have been taken out, compromised because they weren't vigilant? And how many churches have suffered because of it? A lot. And he wants to raise up false teachers who cause us to question the truth of what God has said in order to back down from the work of God when it gets difficult. But... I got good news. Even though the attack of the enemy is the same, the provision of God is the same as well. The people of God did not fall victim to the attacks of the enemy, at least not for long. As we see in chapter 6, verse 15, guess what? The wall is rebuilt. Oh, that's good news. Enemy tried, was not successful. And they were able to finish the work because they took advantage of God's provision in the midst of that opposition. And so as, we, as we're recognizing the attacks of the enemy right now, I want us to recognize the provision as well and how each provision speaks to a specific attack of the enemy. What are the provisions that we see in this text that allow us to come after the attack of the enemy? Four of them. Firstly, provision number one, prayer. When you read the book of Nehemiah, you cannot help but be challenged by Nehemiah's commitment to prayer. It's very clear that Nehemiah thinks it's important to pray. And the tougher the situation is, the quicker he prays. And it's almost immediate. Chapter four, verse four. When Nehemiah hears the words of the enemy, when he hears the jeering of the enemy, what does he do? Hear, O God. Here's what they're saying. Hey guys. That wall so weak, a fox could take it down. Hear, oh God, what they're saying. I'm hearing it. I'm getting discouraged, but I can't listen to them anymore. I need to listen to you. I'm, I don't need to hear what they're saying. I need to hear what you're saying. Hear, oh God, he says. Guys, speak. We're being despised. Would you turn back their taunt on their own heads? All right, I'm rubber, you're glue. But it bounce off me, stick to them, okay? And give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their get, guilt. Don't let their sin be blotted out. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of these builders. 4 9. When they threaten physical violence and try to cause confusion, he prays. They plotted, verse 8, we prayed to our God set up a guard against this uh, as a protection against them day and night. Chapter 6, verse 9, when they threatened his life, when they tried to weaken his hands in leadership, what does he say? But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Prayer is essential in our fight against our enemy. Why? Well, I don't have time to outline today a whole theology of prayer or uh, a complete biblical accounting of everything that the Bible says about prayer and the importance of prayer. But here's what I know. Prayer is an act of grounding for us as God's people. Here's what I mean by that. It allows us to sit before the Lord and let him redefine the terms of the battle. So the enemy wants you to think that he's bigger than he is. He wants you to think that you're isolated and alone. He wants you to forget the promises of God. And prayer allows us to sit before the Lord and say, okay, God, here's what I'm hearing the enemy say, but what do you say? Here's here's what they're promising, but what have you promised? Here's what I think of myself, but what do you think of me? Here's what they want to do in this moment, but what do you want to do? And it allows us to act out of what God has said rather than what our enemy has said. It allows us to see the battle rightly as the way that God defines it rather than the way that our enemy has defined it. Listen, we got to remember, friends, that first and foremost, our struggle is a spiritual one. We are in a spiritual battle and we need spiritual weapons, and there's no greater spiritual weapon than prayer. And our prayers, we seek to take hold of God. And remember that he's already taken hold of us. And if we're in his hand, there's nobody who can take us out of it. I love the way that Nehemiah prays here. He's praying the promises of God. Because he wants God to speak in this situation. The things that he's claiming here in these prayers, they're not light things. They're weighty things, refined by the word of God. God has already said who he is for and who he is against. He's established the work that we are to be about. And prayer is a moment for God to remind us of who he is, who we are, and what he wants us to do, even when opposition comes. So he prays. They pray. And they allow God to speak about the situation. Second thing they do is they gather They gather. We see this a lot in Ezra and Nehemiah. The second provision is the gathering of God's people. Nehemiah prays, and then when he speaks, he speaks to the gathered people of God. In chapter 4, verses 12 to 14, I think is one of the most helpful pictures of who we are to be as the people of God. Let me just read this. So the enemies, verse 11, are assembling. They will not know or see till we come among them. We're going to kill them. We're going to stop their work. So you can imagine the enemies not only surrounding the city, but surrounding all the little encampments that are around the city. And the people who are separated from the city, the inner city, that, that are not inside the wall, they begin to see the enemies gathering. And all their, all their men, all their warriors are helping build the, the wall. And they begin to be scared as they're isolated and alone on the outskirts of the city. And so what do they do when they see the, the, the armies gather up around them? What do they do? The Jews who lived near came from all directions. They run to where the people are. They run to where the defense is, and they say, you got to return to us, you got to help us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and all the open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, with their spears, with their bows, so that everybody could see everybody. And I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles, to the officials, I said to all the people who had gathered, as they looked around and they saw all the people gathered, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Listen. When they were isolated and they saw the enemy, all they could see was defeat. But when they gathered together, it was a different story. When they gathered together and they saw all the people who could fight with them, when they gathered together under Nehemiah's leadership and heard him declare to them, remember the Lord, suddenly what was fear turns into faith. I love this picture of God's provision for us in the gathered people. Listen, now more than ever, I I see myself every Sunday running to the church. I'm on the, I'm isolated. I'm alone. My family's just sitting out there and and we see the enemy coming around us. And we're thinking, man, this is going to be tough. I don't know that I can do this on my own. So I'm, I got to run to where the people are gathered I gotta say, hey, the enemy's coming after me and I need help. Will you help me? And I hear other people saying the same thing. The enemy's coming after me. I, I feel the attack. And then we sit together and we proclaim to one another, remember the Lord. Isn't that good? We, we, we hear each other proclaiming the faithfulness of God. We look around, we see everybody gathering to fight alongside us. And in that moment, God reminds us we are not alone. The enemy wants us to think we're alone. We're not alone. We got God and we got each other. And when God's attached himself to us, I don't care what comes against us. It's not going to stand a chance. And I think we got we to learn this lesson in this season more than ever. I, I'm so ashamed at the way that we as the church have dismissed, taken for granted the gathering of God's people. Every Sunday, it's just a, we just evaluate it alongside other things that don't really matter, you know. Like, okay, well, today the Cowboys play early, and maybe they're going to win today. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stay home and get prepared for the Cowboys game because that's what matters. Or, you know, I haven't got to play golf in a long time, so I'm just going to play golf on Sunday morning instead so of gather with God's people. Or, hey, my kids got a game. They had to make it up from Wednesday to Thursday night, and I don't want them to miss ball, so I'm going to take them to the ball. Or, hey, it's the opening of deer season, so I'm going to go after, uh, go kill a deer and, you know, uh, take advantage of something that's very innocent and... Um, Sorry, that was, that was Jared speaking. That was not the Lord, but I mean, maybe also the Lord, but we'll come back. Or, you know, I stayed up late last night. I wasn't responsible. I'm just going to sleep in this morning because I got a lot of sleep this week. Or, you know, it was so easy just hanging out at home on Sunday mornings during COVID. I just don't think I want to get up and have to get ready and get my kids ready and feed them breakfast all before nine o'clock to get here. And we excuse after excuse after excuse to keep us away from the people of God. I need you to hear me this morning. That's a work of the enemy. Because the longer you are away from the people of God, the weaker you are as a believer. He's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And what do predators do? They try to isolate their victims. They want to pull you apart and think this doesn't matter, that it's okay to watch it online. I know we're in a specific season today, and many of you have to watch it online, but in normal circumstances but it's just as good for me to watch it online. It is not. It is not. You need to be with the gathered people of God. It is a provision from God for your strength to remain steadfast in the attack of the enemy. Oh, that we would walk away from this time valuing even in greater ways the gathering of God's people to strengthen us for the work that he has called us to do. Thirdly, third provision, I'll move through these last ones quick. Godly leaders, prayer, the gathering of God's people, and godly leaders. The enemy comes after Nehemiah because he knows Nehemiah is the key to success in this work. God has raised him up, specifically situated him to help the people of God do the work of God. And the enemy wants to remove him at any cost. Thankfully, Nehemiah is godly enough and attuned to the Lord enough to not fall victim to the attacks of the enemy. And he's able to see what others cannot see so that he can lead the people of God into safety rather than defeat. Now listen, I know this may sound self-serving, but I'm speaking what the Lord has spoken, okay? Godly leaders are a provision from God. He is gifted and called out, specifically as it applies to pastors and elders, certain men from among us to lead us giving them certain giftings to allow them to lead and see what other people do not see, to protect in ways that other people cannot protect because it's a provision and spiritual gifting from God. Listen, God used Nehemiah to bring order to chaos. Chapter 4, verses 15 to 23. God used Nehemiah to inspire and unite the people of God with the word of God. Chapter 4, verse 14. God allowed Nehemiah to understand the attack of the enemy in ways that no one else did. Chapter 6, verse 12. He used Nehemiah to, to, to reveal the work, keep the people of God engaged in the work, and reveal when the work was threatened. And God uses godly leaders in the same way today. And I want you to hear me, because the enemy knows that. He tries to come after us. The enemy wants to remove or compromise your leaders because he believes if he removes us and takes us out, he'll take you out as well. And I want you to know that we as pastors and elders at this church, other staff, we take that very seriously. That that we have a different level of responsibility and a different level of warfare that comes from what we do. And so I hope that you're praying for your leaders. I hope that you're asking for the Lord's protection upon them. I hope you don't see them as threats, but rather as provisions. And that you're not working to undermine them, but to help them. Because of how God has set them apart to lead the people of God. Now again, if they're ungodly, you have every right to undermine them. (laughs) And I hope that you would. But as long as they're walking with the Lord, and they're seeking to walk in a way that's in alignment it with his word. I pray that you would seek to support them, encourage them. Have them over to your house for a meal. Send them a letter. Sometimes the only emails or letters we get are kind of discouraging, so send them some encouraging things. Uh, you know, we, you can bake for them. I don't know all of us, we don't really eat a lot of sweets, but you can bake for us if you want. Uh, we'll share it, you know. Just do some things to encourage them, right? Because ministry, this kind of leadership can be very discouraging on purpose from the enemy. And so we need the people of God as well. To help us remain steadfast, even as we seek to lead you. And finally, the final provision, not last, certainly, is the written word of God. Prayer, the gathering, godly leaders, and the written word of God. The enemy tried to change what God had said or to offer something that God did not say in order to distract Nehemiah and lead him astray. But I love how he answers here in chapter 6. But I said. Here's what he said. But I said. He's remembering what God has said. So here's what the enemy says. But I'm going to say what God has said. Here's what he's saying. But let me say what God has said. Should a man such as I run away and a man such as I go into the temple and live? No, no, no. You're, You're saying something that God did not say because here's what God said to me. You need to go back you need to lead God's people to rebuild this wall. And that's coming on the back end of God already leading back other remnants of God's people to help rebuild the temple and rebuild the people. But it makes make sense to me that I should just go in the, the temple and hide out when you have so very clearly asked me to be about this work. And even if I go in there and hide out, I, I don't know that I'm qualified or able to sit in the presence of God. Would I just die if I went to the Holy Holies and just shut the door? That's not what God has said. I love that because here's what happens. When the enemy starts coming after us, he will try to manipulate the word of God and praise the Lord that we have a record of what he has said to stack up against the lies of the enemy so that when Satan or a false prophet come, they say, no, listen, here's what God really said. Here's what God wants you to do. You can say, mm, that doesn't sound like God because I've, I've read what God has said. I know what God has said, and if... If he's about that then, he's about that now. Because he doesn't change. He's not going to contradict something he said and had written down for us. All that we would know the truth of God's word so we can identify the lie of the enemy and not be taken advantage of and distracted from the work of God. Friends, our greatest weapon in this fight alongside prayer is the word of God. It is a spiritual sword. As Paul writes in Ephesians 6. When the enemy tries to change the word of God or say something different, know that you have something to fight back with. And remember, our greatest example in all of this is Christ. Because when the enemy tried to manipulate the word of God to him and lie, what did he do? He quoted God's word right back. So, no, no, that's not what God said. Here's what God said. Every time that the enemy got... Came after him every time he felt the weight of the work. What did he do? He prayed. He remained faithful as the greater Nehemiah in order to lead us as a new people to be about a greater work, not just building a wall, but the building of disciples, the building of a kingdom. You don't know what to do? Come back to Nehemiah. But even more importantly, go look at the Gospels and go see how Jesus does everything we see right here in greater ways. And know that the same Spirit that allowed him to walk in faithfulness now lives in you. His faithfulness shows us that we can be faithful in this, we can be about this work. I have no doubt that if we sit under this provision in the midst of opposition, We can can finish the work. Chapter 6, verse 15 can be said about us. And when Christ returns, we can meet him as faithful servants. So, friends, I know the work is hard. I'm in it with you. I know the enemy is strong and vigilant, and he's plotting against us. Here, I also know in the midst of that opposition, God has made provision. And if we will take advantage of the provision, We can walk in victory, a victory that is already guaranteed and promised for the people of God. Wherever you are, you bow your head, spend some time before the Lord, asking Him to help you know how to respond. Let me ask you this question first. Are you a part of this people? Has have you ever taken advantage of the work of God through Christ for your life? To be reconciled to God. To restored to God. If not, I just want you to hear me today. You were separated, alienated from God. A victim of sin and death. Subject to the attack of the enemy. But there is a victory in Jesus that you can take hold of today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you can be saved. You can join this people, you can come under this ongoing work and and join us in it. We would love, love to talk with you more about that. Send us an email this week, call us at the church. We'll do everything we can to navigate that decision with you. Right now in your pew or your seat, just give your life to Christ. But the rest of us who are already in this work, are you committed to it? Did you just sign up to get your get out of hell free card? Or do you recognize that you're a part of something? Part of a greater work that God has called us to? Are you committed to it? I said it a couple weeks ago, I mean it. If you never feel any resistance from the enemy, why is he not concerned about you? Why is he not angry or fearful because of the work that we are doing as a people? I pray that every day Satan wakes up angry at First Baptist Church of Irving. And if he is, that means he's coming after us. So let me ask you, as a part of this people, are you sitting today in defeat or victory? And if you're in defeat, how has the enemy come after you? Has he... Attacked your identity, exposing a weakness, manipulating it for his own advantage? Is he removing you from the gathering of God's people? Is he, is he called you to trust and put your trust in the wrong leader? Is he manipulating the word of God to make you believe something that God has not said, that your life is easier but not effective? Would you just take that to the Lord today? And would you engage the provision that God has made you for that opposition? Would you utilize what God has given to walk in victory, not in defeat? Would you remember that your weakness provides an opportunity for God to be glorified? That he has given you people to fight alongside, to help you remember the Lord? That he has given you godly leaders who want to walk with you and help you? He's given you a word of God to make sure you know what he has said and promised You can rest in it. The final thing I want to ask is this maybe some of you out there need to be Nehemiah's. If godly leadership is a provision from God, some of you may be being called out, even though it's difficult, even though the work is hard, to help lead God's people to accomplish the work of God until He returns. I'd encourage you, if that's you. Contact me, contact Blair, Kurt, any of our pastor elders. We would love to consider that with you and help you walk in it. Father, help us to know how to respond today and find us faithful, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, church.